I really believe that the world, the Lord is revealing the truth of his scripture to people, to men and women, and we are beginning to study the book and read the book and, and see things. And, and I think about this week, you know, as we went out of town, uh, we spent a lot of hours on an airplane this week, a lot of hours. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, that's kind of minor compared to what we got to do. You know, we get to, I went down, I went this week and sat down with a family of people that were all Catholics. I mean, very devout Catholic. And, you know, it's amazing that it really makes no difference what kind of church people go to. You know, the thing about it is I've come to realize that when they ask you a question, you know, here's the way most of us answer it. Well, this is what I believe. Well, let me tell you, you can't go there when you sit down with a group of people that believe. You can't go in and say, well, I'm a Methodist and I believe. You can't go in and say, I'm a Baptist or I'm a Pentecostal and I believe. That don't carry no weight whatsoever. When somebody asks you a question, what do you think about this? They say, well, what I think doesn't make any difference, but it's what God said that makes a difference. And so I bought a Catholic Bible. I have never owned a Catholic Bible until this few weeks ago, but I now have one. And uh, I took it with me, and I took a highlighter, and for hours and hours and hours on that airplane, I went through that Catholic Bible. And you know what that Catholic Bible says? The same thing my King James says. You know? You know, the same thing. There's a few more verses and a few more books, and there's a few more books that I don't have in the King James. But, I mean, you know, it, it doesn't really make any difference because uh, the Catholic people, they don't know what's in it anyway. You know, so they don't read it. You know, am I telling you the truth, Donna? David, is that true? Most of them, that's true. Yeah, now, so there is a few that do read and study their Bible, but this, the family we went to see was not one of those families. You know, whenever I had so much fun, you know, we, we sat down that first evening. Of course, you know, we, you know when, you get on, when you're up all day long and you get on an airplane late in the afternoon and you fly for eight or nine hours and then you get there and you, you wait four hours for the next one and you fly another hour and a half and then you get over to their house in the afternoon and then you set up until eight o'clock their, night, their time talking to them about the Bible. You know, 36 hours have come and gone. You know, that's a pretty long day. You know, 36 hours. But that's how long our first day was, 36 hours. You know, and by 36 hours, I'm still on fire. You know, I'm not even sleepy. You know, I'm going. You know, i got an anointing of God on me, and I'm not at least a bit sleepy. But what I, I was so amazed was that when they started asking me questions when we got there, and started asking questions as soon as we got in the car. And so you opened the Bible and said, but the Bible says, or the Bible says, and then, you, I mean, nobody's ready to go to bed at 8 o'clock, but, you know, but anyway, we were a little exhausted, so we did, and we slept really good all night long, and woke up the next day, and then we went to the hospital, and I sat down by the bedside with a 64-year-old man that was a devout Catholic man, and his wife, you know, was a devout Catholic woman. They go to church every Sunday, but I asked him, do you have a Bible? On the way to the hospital, she said, well, yeah, we have one. I said, well, she said that. I said, but do you know where it's at? She said, well, I'm not sure, but I think I do. That tells me that we don't study much, see. So let me tell you, when the Word of God says the devil has deceived the whole world, he has deceived the whole world. You know, so 
We do not understand this book. We don't know this book. And those of us that are devout Christians that do read and study the book, that demon of unbelief, I mean, he's so powerful. He gets us. You know, I mean, you know, you can't say anything about a Catholic or a Methodist or Baptist because I was telling somebody a while ago there, I have never, ever, ever, ever in my entire life ever met a human being that believes the Word of God in its entirety. I ain't never met one. We don't, it's unfortunate. We can say, oh yeah, I believe the Bible. But you know, you're lying. You don't believe it. If you did, you'd have to change a lot of things that you do. I had to. And that demon of unbelief will get you. I mean, it'll just reach out and grasp you. You know, and especially when that devil throws that black mantle over you and puts something on you. You won't go to the promises. We go to the doctors or we go to whatever. We don't go to the Word. I don't, I don't care if it's, if it's uh, you need a healing or you need finances or whatever you need. The average person will not see God during the course of the day. You know, I mean, think. How many of you were like I was even? When I was going to schools of higher learning, I mean, I didn't study the Word of God during the week. I studied my other books because I wanted to make a straight A. I wanted to ace every test in school. And I almost did. But I'll tell you, it didn't happen by me not studying, I'll tell you for sure. But I was putting God on the back burner. And I think all of us have been guilty of that. <clears throat> and do you know that the number one commandment, everybody knows what the number one commandment is in the Word of God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength, and you are to have no other gods before him. We don't believe that. Some of us have read that. Some of us can even quote that. But we don't do that. I didn't. And we wonder why we have problems in our life. And we wonder why... Sickness and disease comes upon us. We don't do what God told us to do. I want you to turn to one of our favorite scriptures, Ephesians 3.20. And I want you to see what God says you can do if you believe his word. Let's, instead of starting right there at verse 20, let's, let's read a little bit down to that. Let's start all the way back up at verse 13. <clears throat> Paul said in Ephesians, Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory or on your behalf. I desire that you faint not at my tribulations. <clears throat> Let me ask you a question. If today... Before you left here, if somebody came in and they were to tell us because we're Christians, they're going to strip us naked from the waist up and they're going to beat every one of us with a cat of nine tails, 39 stripes before we leave here today. What would you feel like? You ever had a bullwhip laid across your back? I hope not. But to take 39 stripes, you know, if you're, if you're grumbling and complaining about things that are happening, and we all do this. I mean, I'm guilty too. 
I tend to forget the privileges that I have in Christ. Like Dave said a while ago about you know praising and thanking the Lord. You know, when I woke up this morning, I mean, of, <clears throat> of the trip, in the 12-hour trip, actually more than that, uh, about 18 hours in route, getting back yesterday and starting out at our time here at 1.30 in the morning. We got up over there and got ready to leave, and it was 1.30 over here in the morning when we got up over there. And so we got up, and so from 1.30 yesterday morning until 4 o'clock this morning, I was still up. This morning, I almost finally passed out. Cheryl, at about 1, I think, or whatever it was, she went to the house. She said, I can't go no longer. She'd been up 24 hours. And so she went to the house, and I stayed with some computer programs Dave and I was working with. And we finally, 3.45, when I went over to the house and went to bed. You know, and so, you know, the things you think, I just want to get this done. You know, but, you know. I guess it'll still be there because you have to finally just go pass out. And so we finally did that. But I think about even those little things that we do that we consider tribulations. You know, I mean, I mean, going over there, we missed a flight. You know, the airplane from here was 40 minutes late getting over there, and our interconnections were too close. And I never seen Cheryl run like I saw her run. <laughs> I didn't know she had that in her. But we, we got off of that airplane at, in the north terminal and ran all the way down to baggage claim and picked up our bags. Of course, she's carrying the two Bibles, and I'm carrying a, a handheld that we carried on, which weighed about 15, 20 pounds. And then we pick up a 50-pound roller, big suitcase, and I roll that thing and carry the other one and we run back up to customs and get there. And the lady lets us through without even checking our bag, just barely check our passports because we tell them we we're late. And we run to the train, and we get on the train, and we ride that train for about three minutes, and then we run the rest of the way to the other end of the terminal. We run for 20 minutes. That's hard. She's carrying two Bibles, and I'm carrying a bag and pulling a 50-pounder, keeping up with her through the airport, the north and south terminal at Gatwick, uh, England. And then we get there, and it's 12 minutes till departure, but they say we're too late. We can't go. Well, they won't let us on. So now we got a... Four-hour wait to the next flight. And so we go downstairs waiting. And I'm telling you, I'm a little upset. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm grumbling and complaining. Don't get me wrong. You know, I mean, I'm a human being. I'm fussing about missing that flight. I know none of y'all ever done that, have we, Jelly? <laughs> Every day. Every day. I mean, you know, it's amazing how easy it is to get off into grumbling and complaining, and all, the, all I did was miss the flight, and all I got to do is sit there and wait. But, you know, I, I still got two hands, and they work. And I still got two ears I can hear, and I still got two eyes that I can see, and I still got a nose and I can smell. And, and I was walking, and I had no pain in my body. You know, I should have been glorifying and praising God. There was nobody there with a cat of nine tails to beat me. But Paul says... I desire that you faint not at my tribulation. You know, how would, what would you think today if I'd have come back from Ireland and when I come in they had a not liked what I'd done and they had a beat me with a cat of nine tails and I got body all swelled and eyes swelled and stripes all over my back and all that. What would you think? But you don't expect me to come back like that, do you? But Paul did that on a regular basis. People didn't like what he taught. They didn't like it. 
And so the, he looked awful. Or how would you, what would you think if your preacher had went over to Ephesus and says, you know, I see that you have faith to be healed. You ain't never walked a day in your life, have you? The guy said, no. he said, in the name of Jesus, by faith in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And the guy jumps up and starts running and all over the place. And everybody said, oh, the gods have come down among us. And Paul said, yeah, they have. Jesus is, he's in me. Let me tell you about this Jesus. And so he's telling them. And in a few minutes, the Jews come up and said, these bunch of guys are crazy. They're teaching you a lot. And they just saw a miracle. Just saw a man get up and walk. He ain't never walked a day in his life. And so them Jews deceived the rest of those people, those devils in them, and they pulled the preacher that's doing miracles in the name of Jesus. And they start stoning him. And they take him out to the dump and the final big rock, they hit him right in the face and crush his whole face and leave him for dead. And they leave. They kill him. And then the apostles go out there and Jesus raises him from the dead. And he's got snots and bumps and broken nose problems. Who knows what he's got? You don't stone a man to kill him and use little bitty rocks, do you, David? Have any of you ever had anybody when you was playing take a little bitty flat rock and throw it at somebody and hit somebody and rip, rip a gash it. Oh, my lands, that's killing me. We did that when I was kids. I've been hit in the head, you know, and have a slice the place open. Oh, then everybody's crying. Paul would have thought, you bunch of wimps, you know. They stoned me and left me for dead. And they come out and got me and brought me back to church and I looked like this, you know, not swelled, eyes all swelled up, cuts all over your face, all over your back been beaten, and I've got the stripes of the Lord Jesus in my body. He says, Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations. You walk in and you see your preacher looks so bad, and you say, ah, Look at the blood running out of him. And you pass out. You know, I've seen people like that. I've seen people that when they see blood, they pass out. Have you seen them like that? You may be one of those kind. Let me tell you, we're, we're not very tough in the church today. You know, I hate to say it, but the, the time may come again when the church has to experience these kind of things. Do you know today in America, in Texas, that people are converting to Islam? They're building mosques and are converting to Islam. And they say this Islam religion meets all of our needs. They haven't read the book. You have not read the book. But so what's the difference? You hadn't read this one either. That's the problem with people. You don't know who you are. You have no clue as a Christian. You've never read your owner's manual. And he didn't tell you to read it. He told you to study it. Second Timothy 2.15, he said, study my word. Study it. Get into it. Diligently be involved in it. Because I'm going to tell you, the time may very well come back when we may have times again like when Paul was preaching. Can you imagine Paul going somewhere and preaching and a man that has never walked in his life, Paul goes in and says, Jesus is the Christ. He's the King of kings. He come to save you. He come to heal you, to deliver you, to set you free. And he's preaching this. And all of a sudden, some guy looks out there and says, you know, man, if what that guy's saying, that means I don't have to be down here. No, I can walk. And Paul looks at that and he says, I see that you have faith to be healed. He could see it in the Spirit. 
And he goes over and says, in the name of Jesus, get up. See, that's what's holding all of us down. It's the lack of faith in these promises of God's Word. He, he has not cut us short on these promises. They're here. But that demon of unbelief, he gets into us and he stops us. Just like Gloria the other day. I got really tickled. Gloria went down to Florida and spoke to a bunch of people. And there was a lady come up there with a withered hand. And Gloria stepped out in bold, violent faith and said, Ma'am, stretch forth your hand in the name of Jesus. And all of a sudden, the hand come out totally healed. And Gloria even jumped. <laughs> but that was her first miracle, right, Gloria? That was her first miracle. But she didn't say, I don't know this. She'd learn better than that. See? But that demon of unbelief, you know, it took a lot of faith for her to tell that woman to stretch forth her withered hand. But see, most people in the church have never had the faith to do something like that. They've never had... Why? Why? Good question. Why? But first of all, we look at this, what Paul's going through. And when Paul had this power and he walked in this, and people beat him and stoned him and beat him with rods and everything else. And we look at him and say, Wherefore, he said, I desire that you faint not at my tribulation for you, which is on your behalf. The King James says, It's for your glory. That can definitely be misinterpreted. I did this for you. I think about the Saturday when one of the ladies in my Sunday school class in Justin asked me on Thursday to fly to Corpus Christi and pray for a friend of hers that was on her deathbed, supposed to die in a week. And that I would, after a busy week, I would get up at 5 o'clock in the morning, drive out to DFW, get an airplane, go to Houston, an hour layover, and go to Corpus and teach people the Word of God all day long and then make that trip back and get back at 10 o'clock at night. Get up at 5 and get home at 10 on my Saturday. That I could have done anything I wanted to do. I could have stayed in bed and slept. I could have got up and done something I wanted to do. But I didn't. I did what God called me to do. And I got to see a woman that was on her deathbed miraculously healed and come back to full health. For a long time, this woman became a beautiful woman. But you know, if God's going to send you somewhere, you've got to be willing to go. That's why when the Lord, when, I, when He saved my life years ago, I told Him, I said, Lord, I'll go anywhere and I'll do anything you send me to do. So when a lady came and asked me if I would go to minister to her sick brother-in-law, I said, yes. You know, I'll be happy to because she goes to this church. And then you ask the question, well, what hospital is he in? She says, in Belfast, Ireland. <laughs> now, wait a minute. You know, I thought down here in Dallas, you know, I didn't know we were talking about halfway around the world. Do you realize how much time that's going to take out of my life to go minister to this man? A whole week. And all of the problems and trials and everything. And you don't go over there on vacation. You go over there to minister to somebody. Of course, to me, 
it made no difference whether I ever go there or not because I've traveled all over the world as an international airline pilot and there's very few places in the world I have not seen. And so to go somewhere, it's not exciting to me. You know, when you've been on one of them beasts as many hours as I've been, it's not exciting to think you're going to ride and go. It's a job. But you think, and the lady told me the other day before we left, she said, this is the love of God that you would give a week of your life to go pray for a man you don't even know. Don't even know. But that is what it is, the love of God. But as I went and was ministering to that man in that hospital, I took the Catholic Bible and I sat down with a wonderful man, skilled man, a man that had a good education, but he's laying there technically on his deathbed. And I opened the Bible and I sat down beside the bed and I go here. And everywhere I'm reading, I'm fixing where he can look at it too. Because he ain't never read the Bible. So if I speak the words of God and he can't see it, he's not going to believe what I'm saying because what I'm saying is so powerful over what he's ever heard in his life. Nobody's ever taught him these promises. So I sat down beside that bed and for three hours without a break, we're going through these promises. And he's looking at this thinking, wow, if these things are in here, I wonder why I haven't ever heard these. And his wife is kind of sitting across there with her arms crossed thinking, I don't know if this guy's crazy or what. But see, I'm reading out of the Catholic Bible. You got a problem. Because I'm not telling you what I believe. I'm reading it out of the book. And I'm talking about miracles. And all of a sudden, a nurse comes in, three hours into this, and she walks up and says, Sir, I need to draw some blood out of him. I said, Okay, I need a break anyway. I back up, stand up. She puts a deal around his arm. And normally when you put a deal around here and pump this up, this big main artery here is pretty easy to see. But his has been stuck so many times, they can't get no blood. They can't find it. So they move it down to here. And they do it, and they try it in here. And they can't find none. And she said, I'm probably going to have to go get a doctor. I can't find a vein. Cheryl jumps up and says, honey, pray. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, let her get a vein in Jesus' name. And she stuck that needle back in his arm, and that vial just filled up with blood just like that. She said, wow. She said, I need to take you with me everywhere I go. You know what she really needed with her? The Word. But I'll have to say, the gentleman that was laying there on the bed, his eyes got about that big too. You know, Michael, it doesn't hurt when God shows up and does a little miracle for you. You know, I mean, when you've been teaching the Word for three hours and you're teaching them things they've never heard and all of a sudden they get to see God do their first miracle, it kind of makes you think, wow, maybe what he's teaching is the truth. So for the next couple of hours, the wife that was sitting there with her arms crossed, she kind of uncrossed her arm and kind of leaned over the bed to listen a little better. Isn't it amazing what God's Word can do? It's so wonderful to see him do these things. But you know, we went through that whole day and built his faith. Then we went to the house that night and began to answer questions. And here we go to this home and all these brothers and sisters and cousins or whatever, uh, all and children begin to come in and fill the room up 
And we sat there and started talking about the Word of God. And after a little while, I said, you know, this is about 6.30 or something like that when we started. And I said, you know, I really think that we ought to go to bed because we got a busy day tomorrow. And they looked and it was exactly midnight. From 6.30 till midnight, five and a half hours of Bible study in a Catholic home. That's a unique thing. And nobody knew what time it was. They were all asking questions, and I was answering them from the Word. And so the next day we go back to that hospital and do again another five or six hours, pray for the man. And, of course, uh, you know, he is completely convinced now he's healed because it's in the Word. You know, so God sent forth his Word and healed him. Psalm 107, verse 20. And so then we go back to their home, and that night the brother, one of the brothers that he was so awestruck with the Word that he invited us over to his house for dinner, and then he invited all of the uh, relatives and even some neighbors. And again, we sat and discussed the Word till almost midnight. You know what's amazing? Whenever we would get to a Bible, and I said, well, let's go to Matthew whatever. And they would say, where is that? I said, well, the best thing to do is take your Bible, turn to the front. There's an index. There's an Old Testament and a New Testament. And that happens to be in the New, and you'll see they're in alphabetical order. So you'll have to, or, or in order there. I said, you'll see which one's first, and it'll tell you what page it's on. And so that's the way we've done a Bible study that night with a group of people that are Christians that love God with all their heart but have no knowledge of this book. You want to know why the devil beats up on us as children of God? Because we don't have knowledge of the Word. And for those of us that have studied it, there's a little bit we've studied. When we see these great and awesome promises, when we try to act on them, that spirit of unbelief will just reach out and grab you. Think. Think this scripture. Mark eleven twenty three. Jesus said, if you have faith in God. Truly, truly, I say unto you, you can not only do what I did to that fig tree when I spoke to the fig tree and it died, but you can say to that mountain, be removed from there and cast into the sea. And if you don't doubt in your heart, not your head, because you can't get over that. If you don't doubt in your heart, that mountain will obey you. That's a little more than we can grasp. Speak to a mountain and command it to move and expect it to really move. And then he goes a little further and he says, So therefore, whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you will have whatever you say. Did he say that? Now see, that's where that spirit of unbelief comes in and grabs you. You've got to get over that. Because that's the very verse I used the other day with Dr. Gary Young. I mean, here, here's a doctor in Salt Lake City, Utah, with a crushed back. Fell out of a tree on Tuesday and crushed his back. Got a CT scan to confirm the back is crushed. And at 10 o'clock on Sunday night when he called me, I quoted that verse. I said, sir, the king of the universe, his name is Jesus, said I can have whatever I say with my mouth if I believe with my heart. So I said, in the name of Jesus, I command your back to be healed. 
to be made like brand new. Now, I guarantee you, in the name of Jesus, you will get a supernatural healing from the king, and his name is Jesus. And I hung up the telephone. And in just a few minutes, 15 minutes or so, that doctor called me back, and his back, which was crushed, laying there in excruciating pain from Tuesday till Sunday, was instantly healed by the king of the universe, Jesus. Now, see, when you tell people that story, you know, you, you try to tell people that story. And even Christians think, oh, well, then, yeah, that guy's crazy. I mean, don't they? That couldn't happen. Well, I mean, see, that's that spirit of unbelief. You've got to believe when you command that hand to come out, it's going to work, right, Gloria? And after you start seeing the field, it sure does make it easier to say that. <laughs> You'll understand as you get more into faith. The first time I did something like that, it boggled my mind too. But God said in His Word, we can do these things. So we really don't believe the King. So I think about what we can do and the promises that God gives us. And Paul here, he could do these kind of things. But because he did these kind of things, that man that he got to stand up and walk, they carried him outside of town and literally stoned him and left him for dead. If you were stoned, and Michael, they didn't use little stones. They got the biggest thing they could pick up, and when they throwed it, they throwed it at your head, and they meant to kill you, brother. When they say stone you till you're dead, that's what they meant. They wasn't stoning you with little bitty stones trying to... They didn't pick up a handful of gravel and throw it at you, I guarantee you. They picked up a rock that big because they wanted something big enough to crush your skull and kill you. And they did. And poor Paul, he had all his marks and bruises. When Paul says, and I carry the marks of the Lord Jesus in, your, in my body. What would you think if I'd have walked in here today and I couldn't have wore a coat? I couldn't have wore a shirt. My back had beaten and bruised and blood and everything. And the blood wasn't even dry. And they had stoned me while I was over there. And all these big whelps and knocks all over my head. What do you thought about your preacher? Wow. Here he is of faith healer, they say, and he can't even get healed himself. No, that's not the problem at all. Paul walked in divine health. It was the devil and the outside objects that he wasn't sick and afflicted. He didn't have eye problem. Like people say in Galatians, we'll see Paul had this eye problem. He had pus running out of his eyes. Let me tell you, you've been beat five times with a cat of nine tails, and you've been stoned and left for dead. Let me tell you, you've got eye problems. Right? Yeah. But see, when people looked at him, he says there, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations. What do you think you would feel like, Roy, if they'd have beat you with a cat of nine tails this morning before you come to church? Reckon you'd be here today? You, know, you don't think you'd be here. But Paul came. I mean, you know, with his back bleeding and beat up on. And when he came, the people looked at him and he said, Don't faint. You know, don't faint. This is just the tribulations you're going to have to go through to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. There ain't nobody in the church today that I know of has to suffer those kind of things. We don't know what it is to suffer. You know, and you can be just like me. I missed a flight, and I'm grumbling. You know? I know none of y'all ever done nothing like that besides me. Yeah. 
I mean, we can grumble about anything. We get in traffic on the way to work, and there's too many cars, and you're having to drive 30 instead of 60, and you're fussing because you're not going to get to work on time. I know none of y'all ever done that besides me either. All of us do those kind of things. But look at what Paul had to go through. And then he says, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations, because I do this for you. I mean, you know, Paul didn't have to do that, did he? He could have stayed at home. He wouldn't have been beaten bruised, but he didn't. He went. And he bore these terrible problems and tribulations. And I'm telling you, most of us, I mean, I guess might say, I hate to say this, but I guess I'm a wimp too. You know, I don't want to be beaten with a cat of nine tails, do you, Michael? I'd hold up rather get up this morning and feel good, hadn't you? Yeah, I don't want to be beat up on, but he wasn't sick. It wasn't sickness and disease that came upon Paul's body. It was the stripes of the people from the devil that was beating and bruising him. And then he looked so bad, he's saying, you know, don't worry about my tribulation. I just preach the word to you. But he certainly wasn't pretty. He had all swelled up, jaws out there, you know. Who knows what he looked like? Eyes swelled and who knows what he looked like. But he suffered. For this cause, think about this. For this cause, I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you bow for your tribulation and humble yourself before God because you were beat up last week, you were stoned and left for dead, or are you grumbling and complaining? Something to think about, isn't it? For this cause, I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. The Holy Spirit in the inner man, or your spirit, he's praying and asking God to strengthen each one of us that we may know Christ better. Even after all that tribulation and problem, he's, he's on his knees before the Heavenly Father, although he's been beaten and bruised and stoned and left for dead and all the things he's done and all the suffering, and none of us have got any marks for Jesus. There's not hardly nobody has marks for Jesus. We don't get beat up because we go preach the Word. But it may come with the Islamic religion growing like it is and the people in Texas and the United States converting to Islam. You may find out the day is going to come when they start to take over and they are not going to be easy on you just like right now. Do you know what happens to you if you're a Christian and you live over there in an Islamic world? They cut your head off. They kill you because you're a Christian. Really a wonderful God they serve. In his book, it says, kill Christians and Jews. I'm glad I don't serve a God like that, aren't you? I'm glad I don't serve a God that says love them, not kill them. But that God is alive and well today. And some of us in the future, if we don't stand for the Lord now, Stand. You may not be able to stand 
one day in the future when they come against you. And they will. I guarantee you. You go to an Islamic nation right now and you find out, you start talking about Jesus and you're going to find out what they're going to do. They're going to kill you. It's really something. One of the guys I worked with over in that world when I went over there to Egypt to build that building, he was a project manager on the hotel while I was building that big in-flight building over there at the airport. He said the first time he went through Saudi Arabia, he came up to a big crowd of people. And the car stopped, couldn't get through. So a big police officer come over, two of them, and opened the door and took him out of the car and one of them grabbed a hold of his neck, and one of them grabbed hold of one arm, and then they push him up, and they push the people back. And he says, I thought, what is going on? You know, technically in America, they're not supposed to be able to do that to you. But over there, you're living in another world. And said they pushed the crowds back, and they pushed my head down like that. Just as I did, I saw a man sitting right there on a chopping block, and I watched a big machete come down and cut his head off, and it fell in a basket. He said, I passed out. He said, when I woke up, one of them told me, he said, don't steal anything. That's what happens to you over here. The first time you get caught stealing over, they cut your hand off. The second time they cut your head off. So they don't have any third offenders. That's the way they live over there. And a woman is nothing over there. You are nothing if you're a woman. Nothing. You're a piece of flesh. And they could care less about you if you're a woman. But you don't want to be a woman in Saudi Arabia or in the Islam world. If you really go by what the book says, you're just a piece of trash. You don't amount to nothing. But our king, our king says male or female. There's no difference. He loves us all. I'd rather serve a God like that, had you? Amen. Absolutely. Yes. The God of love. That's the God that Paul's serving. But he was in that world with them same demons. And he says here, that Christ, after he's asking all this in verse 16, he says verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. See, here's the thing about this deal. This God we serve, we can't see him. So we have to read about Him in the Word. We read about Him and then we believe what it says. And that's faith. It says, That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. How are you going to be rooted and grounded in love? It depends on how much of Christ is in you? If you don't study the Word, it's just like here a while back, some guy said, you know, I wished that I could love that guy. And you stop and listen to him talking a little while. And he said, you know, I'll I tell you what you guys need to do. You need to get saved. We are saved. I said, no, you're not. Yes, we are. Yeah. I said, well, the Word of God says, if you're saved, the love of God is shed abroad in your heart so you can love the brethren. So if you can't love the guy, you don't know Jesus. 
I mean, you may not agree with what they do or what they say, but you can still love them. You're supposed to love everybody. And you can love and still not like what people do. I mean, I love a homosexual, but I hate what they do. It's taking them to hell. I can tell them the truth, but some of them won't believe it. That's just like the first time I sat down with a group of men in a church, a Baptist church, and confronted only the upper echelons, the deacon board and the pastor. And I confronted them with my written information about the Masonic Lodge. I told them, I said, this organization is well entrenched into this church, and one-third of the deacons in this church are Masons or Shriners, and what they teach does not line up with this book. And I presented it in writing, eight or nine pages, which is on my website to this day, about what the Masonic Lodge believes. And the Masonic Lodge, technically, this ought to be the first clue. In their book, it says you are never to use the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in a Masonic Lodge. That ought to be the first clue that don't touch this thing with a ten-foot pole. Some people say, well, I don't believe that. We've, well, I'm a Mason and we pray in the name of Jesus. Okay, you may be in a little tiny lodge out here somewhere. You go to this big monster downtown Dallas and they ask you to pray and you pray in the name of Jesus and you see what happens. They're going to be on you like a duck on a June bug. We don't speak in the name of Jesus in the Masonic Lodge. It is written in our book. Well, then if the name of Jesus can't be used in their Lodge, guess who is the God of the Lodge? Sure, the devil himself. Big G is the God, the God, the demon. So see, I mean, when you sit down in a Baptist church, or any church, or any group of Christians, and you tell them, if you're a Mason, you need to get out of the Masonic Lodge, and you need to stop serving another God, because the ritual that you go through that says, if you go through this ritual, it makes no difference. You can be a Muslim, and if you go through that ritual you're going to be able to sit with the great architect of the universe and go to heaven. I'm going to tell you, there ain't no way that a Muslim can go to heaven. The only Muslim can go to heaven if he converts to Christianity and becomes a born-again, blood-washed son of the living God. Amen. There ain't no other way. Amen. I don't think you can be a Baptist, a Methodist, Catholic, and there ain't no way to the kingdom except through the blood of Jesus. You know, that's the only way you can get there. And if you believe you can get there any other way, you need to get saved. Amen. Because you don't believe this book. Amen. Jesus said clearly in the book of John, I am the truth. I am the life. I am the way. And no man comes to the Father in heaven except he come through me. Amen. So that's what the Word says. Hallelujah. All you got to do is believe the Word. But we don't believe the Word anymore. The church is having trouble believing the Word. I had all kinds of problems in that church when I started talking about the Masonic Lodge. And then when I moved out to Justin, I had all kinds of problems there. Same thing. Men that are serving as deacons in churches are going to a Masonic Lodge and going through all these rituals. And one of those men jumped up one day. I love him. He said, Someone, I need to pray for you. I said, Nope. Forget it. I don't want your prayers. I don't want you touching me. Amen. You know, I absolutely will not let you pray for me because you're a Mason. And you serve a different God. You don't serve the God I serve. Amen. His name, you may say you serve the Jesus, but I'm telling you, you are not walking in obedience to the Word of God. You're walking in a lie. And I'm going to tell you, the God I serve will not hear your prayer, and so I don't want you praying for me. Amen. Thank God. 
I mean, somebody says, you sure are bold. I'm telling you when it comes to Jesus. I am believe Jesus. I ain't going to do nothing that don't line up with the Word. But Jesus, here, this is the compassion of the heart of Paul that he's praying for us. That He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. So if you don't have the Word hidden, you can't dwell by faith. But if you have the Word of God hidden in your heart, then you can dwell and walk by faith or walk by, walk by the Word of God. But if you don't know the Word of God, you cannot walk in faith. And he said, anything that's not faith is sin. So we sin far too much. Cheryl and I was talking about this on the way down here. She was talking about something she thought about last night that she repented of before God. Something she had done 30 years ago. And she said, honey, I just thought about it. Well, that was sin. And she said, I didn't know I was sinning, what I was doing. I said, honey, we don't have a clue most of the time when we sin. I said, there's things today that I see so clearly that when I was 20 and 30 years old, I mean, I was going to church serving God, and there's still many ways I was sinning, and I didn't even know those things were sin. But we, we do that regularly. How can you learn what sin is? Know the Word. Somebody said, I know God. Okay. Start telling me something about the Bible. Start off listing or quoting the books. Well, I never read the Bible. Well, let me tell you, you don't know God. Amen. You know that there is a God... But you don't know Him. There's only one way to know God, and it's read this book, because this book is God. And if you're not spending time with Him, you don't know Him. You may know of Him, but you don't know Him. You don't know what turns Him on and turns Him off. And if you don't understand these things, you're not going to see God do many miracles for you, or maybe none. No healings or nothing. He may not answer your prayer. But you've got to be doing what He says. When you do, then you get to do what Gloria, Gloria studies the Word. She fasts and prays. And she's getting to where she knows the King better and better. And that's why God done that miracle for her the other day when she was down in Florida. He opened a withered hand. He don't do that for people that don't serve Him. Amen. He don't do that for just everybody. Amen. Then He says, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Now, we sure ought to be rooted and grounded in that, studying and walking in the God kind of love, being obedient to the Word. Then he says, so that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, how are we going to be filled with all the fullness of God? By praying and knowing and reading and seeking Him through His Word. Through prayer and fasting. Through prayer, we ought to be praying for ourselves and for each other. And everything, because Paul has given us an example here, down through here, how we can have this wonderful knowledge and this love and be filled with this. And then he says, verse 20. After all these wonderful things he just said, he says, Now unto him 
God, Jesus. Now unto him, Jesus, that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think. How many of us believe that Jesus can do those things? But now look how he's going to do it. According to the power that worketh in us. How much of that power do you have working in you? Most of us don't have very much of it. I assumed for years when I read that, that I had all of that power in me. But then I got to thinking one day, if I have all of that power in me, then why do I not do greater and mightier miracles and healings in the name of Jesus? And he told me, you don't have much of my power in you. Well, I've only studied it 30 or 40 years. You know, I only teach it about good grief. I don't know, let's see, four, eight. Yesterday we had a five-hour teaching yesterday. Five, ten... 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 22, 24, 26. Somewhere between 25 and 26 hours a month I teach the Bible. Not counting my study time. That's teaching it. Talking about it. And I don't have much of it in me. I don't get to see very many miracles. You know, I mean, yesterday at the healing school we had a lady come up. She said, man, i got to give my testimony. I said, great. She said, last month when I come to the healing school... I was on oxygen. Said you, I came up after the healing school and you prayed for me. And she said, I didn't feel a thing. Didn't see nothing. Didn't hear no bells. Didn't see no angels or nothing. And I went home and she said that night when I got home, I took my oxygen off and I took a... And I thought, wow, that's like a breath of fresh air. And she says, you know, I don't believe I need this thing anymore. And she said, I have never used it since. And she come give her test. She got healed just like you did, Sharon. Same Jesus healed you. That healed her. And then another little lady come up. She said, I came to the healing school last month. I said, you prayed over me. And she said, I brought my list to you. She said, I had so many things wrong. I said, I handed you my list. You just took it and rolled it up, throwed it away and said, Father, in the name of Jesus, do a complete healing on this woman from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. She said, I didn't feel a thing either. But she said, I went home. And she said, my ears that had been hurting for years stopped hurting. And then she said, she began to list all the things that went away. And she said, within just two or three or four days, she said, I didn't have a single pain and not a single thing wrong with me. And said, one of the things that was wrong with me, I went to the doctor and the doctor said, well, to find out what's wrong with you, the test will cost $5,000 to do the test. And she said, I didn't have $5,000. And so she said, I came to a healing school and touched Jesus. And she said, today I have not one single pain or nothing wrong with me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. What kind of Jesus do we serve? Praise the King. Now then, the King says that He can do exceedingly abundantly above all we could even think or imagine. So then what limits it? We limit it. 
Because he said, we do it according to the power that worketh in us. Well, what a shame. Isn't that awful? That we got this humongous God that's so powerful that can do anything beyond our wildest dreams and we got a little bitty pinpoint of him in us. The average Christian today cannot sit down. In fact, I would wonder if I were to have people come up here and say, you know, just come up here and take a mic and let's just start out and let's see how much of the power is in you today. I want you to start talking. I want you to quote every verse you know. Every verse you know. I hope it wouldn't be like the little 37-year-old young woman that was sick. And her grandmother asked me to come over to the house. Beautiful young woman. I mean, this woman, she was beautiful. Laying there in that bed. All sick. 37 years old. I walked in. Her grandmother asked me to come. I didn't know the girl, but I knew the grandmother. Their grandmother had gotten delivered at one of my healing schools. That's one of the first times I'd seen a woman... When I reached up and touched her, she's a little woman about that tall. I was at church over in Watauga, and I reached up and laid my hand on her head. She walked out to the end of that aisle, and she said, Mr. Schriever, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I got something really bad wrong with me. I reached up and laid my hand on top of that 60-something-year-old woman's head at that time and said, You devils of hell, come out of her in the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you, everybody in that church was startled when that little woman just fell all over the floor and began to scream and kick. Nobody expected that, not even me. But when she did, I didn't run off, Shelly. I stayed with her. That little woman got healed that day and got delivered of all them demons, so she wanted her precious little granddaughter healed. So I go over there. I walk in, and I said, Young woman, I said, You got any faith? She said, Sir, I have great faith. I said, Okay. Quote me your favorite healing verse. Thought a minute and said, Well, I don't know a healing verse. I said, Then well, quote me your favorite verse. Well, I, I, I said, Grandma, would you get me my Bible? I said, No, honey, you don't have no great faith. You don't have no faith. That's why you're laying on that bed sick. Here's a little girl that confessed she was a Christian. Went to church once in a while. But she really didn't ever seek God. She didn't know what it was to seek God. If you cannot quote me one single verse and you're 37 years old, you ain't spent much time with the king. How much of the power did she have in her? Zero. You want to know why she's sick and afflicted? Because she has no power in her. Now then, how much of that power do you have in you? He says that we can do all these wonderful things and all this mighty power that God can do according to the power that worketh in you. Amen. So if you and I get this power and put it in us, if we will spend time worshiping and praising and serving God, we will have the faith to do these great and mighty things that Jesus told us we can do. I mean, I think about some of these mighty things. I mean, it takes great faith and I don't know, I don't know, it's got to be God when He brings the gift of faith upon us. I mean, I think about, you know, I, I just, that day down there in, in Manny, Louisiana, just a couple of years ago, when I was there, when they brought Johnny Brumfield. Here's this guy. I mean, he is a, uh, a man that goes to a Baptist church over there. He does not know the power of God. 
But he's a Baptist. He loves God with all his heart. And that tree, it fell across there and crushed both legs. Well, what's the first thing you think they do? Take him to the doctor. Do surgery on him. Doctors say he ain't never going to walk again. Never. And for 21 months, he don't walk a lick. And then I asked to come to this little non-denominational church. 50, 60, 70 people there. And he comes. And I teach a couple hours. And, of course, they had to sing an hour because I, I got tied up here and couldn't get away. And then time I drove all the way to Manny, Louisiana. It's supposed to start at 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock before I drove into the church. So I was an hour late when I got there. So then I spoke two hours. And then a woman. I said, you know, I've taught you all what faith is. I said, is there anybody here who needs anything from God? A little woman jumped up. She comes shaking down the aisle and says, i got Parkinson's and lupus. I need to be healed. And I reached up and just touched her and said, in the name of Jesus. And when I did, instantly a hand just went solid as a rock. I said, whoa, the gift of miracles have come upon me. Praise God. You know, I rebuked that devil, commanded that demon of lupus to leave her. And then I went running over there. I saw Johnny. I didn't know who he was. But I saw this man they brought in with his legs sticking straight out with them steel braces. I thought, oh, Lord, what a gift of miracles. Let me at him. I went over there and laid my hands. I said, sir, Jesus said in John 14, 13, and 14. I see, we, know, we don't believe that, do we? We say we do. But when we start to do what he said, John, Jesus said in John 14, we can ask the Father anything in his name and he'll do it. What kind of limitation did he give us as his children? None. But you know, you start over there. I started over there toward Johnny. And as I started over there, that devil, he began, that demon of unbelief began to come up on me and say, He ain't going to do that for you. I mean, that guy, look at that guy. He's got braces on his leg. Go find somebody that's easier. Find somebody with a headache to pray for. I mean, that, that devil, he's good, isn't he, Gloria? I know, no, no. I mean, I'm, I'm warning off this. God says you don't doubt in your heart, not in your head. That's what the devil's working on me. Oh, you fool. He ain't going to do nothing for you. I, what he said, I said, I just seen him heal a woman with Parkinson's and lupus. Let me at this guy. I'm running over there. Now, the power is working in me a little. I go running over there. I lay my hands on his knees. I said, sir, Jesus said. And I quoted John 14, 13 and 14. I said, now, I'm going to pray over you and ask the Father in Jesus' name to heal them knees. Make them perfect. I said, do you believe that? He said, I believe it. I said, good. I prayed. I said, now you're healed. If you believe it? He said, yes. I said, then take that steel off and stand up and let's walk. And he did. He took the steel and he bent his knees. And I reached up and grabbed his hand. I mean, before that unbelief can get to you, and I jerked him up. I said, get up in the name of Jesus. And he stood up. And he said, oh, it hurts, it hurts. I said, I know the devil's going to make it hurt, but don't believe that nonsense. Come on. And I jerked him. He took a step. I said, come on. The next step, come on. And then he said, whoa. And he's running down the aisles of that church screaming, God is awesome. That demon of unbelief, according to the power that worketh in us. Now then, who is that power available to? Anybody. Anybody that's a child of God. Now, you've got to be a child of God. Amen. He ain't going to release that power to a Muslim. Hallelujah. He ain't going to reset, release that power to somebody who don't believe in the name of Jesus. Amen. How did he say all this stuff would happen? In the name of Jesus. Not in the name of Allah. 
I mean, you know, I don't care who sees these tapes. I hope these tapes go all over, and I hope everybody in the world sees these tapes. Amen. I want them to know that I am not a believer in Allah. Amen. I want them to know I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and there is no God. That's just like on that, that television screen the other day, a, a woman there dressed in her Islamic deal. She said, there is no God but Allah. I thought, oh, God. How the devil has deceived that poor woman. Do you think God loves that woman? Yes. But that woman's believed a lie. Believed a lie. But we in the church have believed a lie. The lie is that these promises don't work anymore. But these promises do work. We are so steeped in unbelief. That's why we don't see God do nothing. Verse 21. Unto Him be glory in the church. By Christ Jesus throughout all ages, a world without end. How long are these promises supposed to go on? Forever. That's right, David, forever. So what's happened? The apostles walked in this power. There's been men sporadically through history that have walked in this power. So what's wrong? I'm going to tell you. The devil has got us as Christians so busy of doing something else. You know, working. He don't care if you work. Oh, he said, brother, you really need to spend a lot of time working. You know, get out there and make you some money. You know, spend 20 hours a day working, but don't read the Word. You ain't got time. That old book, you know, just throw it up on the counter. It's not important. Don't read it. If you come to a church and they say, that's okay, don't bring your Bible. I'll teach you what the Word says. You believe what I say. Mm. That's the first indication that something wrong here. You get this up here and you get your Bible out and when anything I tell you, if I tell you something that don't align up with this book, you question it. So what is this, Lord? You believe the Word. Now that if we believe the Word, He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can even think or imagine according to the power that worketh in you. How many of you would like to be able to see people come to Christ on a regular basis? Well, how, how are you going to do that if you don't have the plan of salvation hidden in your heart? You know how many Christians were like I was? 25 years in a Baptist church... I never led one single person to Christ. I mean, I was a Sunday school teacher and a deacon. And I had never led anybody to Christ. Something was wrong, wasn't there? What was wrong? Was it God? No. Who was the problem? Me. That's exactly right. Me. And I carried this book. And I read this book. And then one day, you get a hold of a simple little verse like this. Romans 10. Yep, let's turn over to Romans 10. I'm going to show you how, if you don't know how to lead somebody to Jesus, all you've got to do is hide these few verses in your heart. You write this down in front of your Bible, Romans 10, 
8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. So if you call these, if you, if you have never led anybody to Christ, this is how simple it is. You can write in front of my Bible or your Bible, Romans 10, 8 through 13. And you can lead anybody to Christ. Now then, this, there's some pre-planning you need to do before you start get going out there to lead somebody to Christ. You need to pray every day and say, Lord, when you wake up, you need to praise and worship the King. Say, now Lord, I want you to use me mightily for your kingdom today. I want you to put people in my path that are lost, that I can minister to. And, devil, in the name of Jesus, I'm taking authority over you and I'm commanding you in the name of Jesus to not blind nobody's mind that I share the gospel to today. Because if you don't do that, that devil will blind their mind. I have had people, many people, in fact, I think about that little boy that that grandmother and grandfather called me one day and said, you know, we've got a son, a grandson rather, he's seven years old, and we can't control him. You ever seen a seven-year-old you couldn't control? I have. And they said, we, 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 somebody has recommended you, and I said, well, bring the boy to healing school. And they said, well, he's not sick. I said, oh yeah, he's sick, but he's sick in a different way. But I said, he's sick. I didn't want to tell him he had a demon, Eldon. You know, they, they wouldn't have believed that, right? I said, bring the boy to me Saturday at the healing school. Today's Thursday. So I said, bring him Saturday. And so they came. And they came and they sit here and listen for four or five hours as I teach the Word of God. He's the boy. He ain't paying no attention. And then when they come up and said, you know, we're the ones that called and we got the seven-year-old grandson that we can't control. I said, where is this? Why are you back out in the back running around somewhere? I said, well, call him. They called him to come up here, and I knelt down in front of him. I said, son, do you know Jesus? Nope. I said, how would you like to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Nope. Now, who do you think that is talking? I looked him right in the face, and I said, you devil of hell, shut up. I said, come out of him in the name of Jesus. I said, now, Father, convict him of sin and draw him into the kingdom. I said, now, son, how would you like to make Jesus Lord of your life? He said, I'd love it. That easy, just like that. Led him to Christ right here. How much power and authority do you have over the devil? Well, why don't you start believing that? If you really believe the scripture that says all power is given to you over the devil, why don't you start telling the devil where to go? When he comes to torment you, when he comes to make you sick or afflict you, when he comes to put a pain on you, instead of running down to the doctor, why don't you tell the devil, first of all, won't you check out and make sure you don't have a sin in your life? Because until you sin, you don't open that door. When you sin, you open the door, and then all you got to do is repent. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I messed up. Forgive me. He said, good, go, and don't do it no more. And then you start rebuking that devil. And when you do that, then he will go away. And then you can see people get saved. Look at this, what it says here. And he says in Romans chapter 10, starting with verse 8, But what saith it? The word is nigh you, even in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. And here it is, that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever... I mean, who does that include? Anybody. I mean, anybody can come to Jesus. He don't turn away. He don't turn you away because you're a Jew. He don't turn you away because you're a Muslim. 
He don't turn you away because you're white. He don't turn you away because you're black. He don't turn you away because of nothing. The only thing that turns God away from you is one thing, unbelief. Unbelief. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed of him. If you really believe on Jesus, you know, you, nobody ought to have to ask you. When you get saved, nobody should have to ask you. Are you a Christian? They ought to know when you walk in. They ought to say, whoa, what is that smile on your face? What is wrong with you? Do you always go around smiling like that, Jim? Most of the time, praise God. Why? Because I know Jesus. A perfect place to jump right in there and say, because I know the King of Kings. You know, you have no idea. People say, how are you doing today? And I say, wow, I am doing magnificently wonderful, but I'm rapidly improving. And they say, whoa. I ain't never seen no. Why are you doing I said, because I know the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's just like when we got to that airport over there in London, coming back, we were the first ones up there. You might say it that uh, uh, American, there wasn't nobody there. We got there pretty early. And the guy says, you know, since y'all are the only ones here and I've got to check some bags, I believe I'll just take your bag over there and check it. He said, do you have any problem with me checking your bag? I said, absolutely not. My wife packed it, so you make sure you put it back just like you found it. Because <laughs> I knew she'd fold it, everything, and put it there. Don't you go over there and throw it all that stuff out and then jump it back. You put it back just like she packed it. But I have no problem with you checking it. And so they take the bag over there and they lay it out. And when they lay it out, she stays there with the bag. And I run to the bathroom right there. I said, I'm going to run right in there. I come back. She said, tell them about what some of the miracles you've seen. I said, why should I tell them about any miracles? They may not even be Christians. She certainly didn't expect me to respond like that. No, I didn't. Yeah. When we started, I told them, I said, yeah, why should I tell you something? I said, do you believe? And I said, are you a Christian? And the guy said, well, yeah. I said, you're not. You don't know nothing about Jesus. What's wrong with you? I said, I want to know. If you really know the king, you ain't going to be ashamed of the king. You know. Nobody ought to have to ask you if you're a Christian. If you've got to back up and ask you if you're a Christian, you've got to back up and say, well, ain't no use me telling you a miracle because you ain't going to believe it anyway. And the other guy said, how about you? He said, well, no, I'm not a believer. I said, you need to be because that devil's lied to you. And if you die in this, you're going to go to the pit of hell and stay there forever. You just got to be bold and tell them the truth. And so anyway, I finally told them about a miracle. Just one. I can only imagine what those two guys talked about after I left. (laughs) That woman that that guy had up here... She thinks she's seen a miracle. And that guy thinks he's seen one, but they must be crazy. You ever heard people talk about people like that? Oh, yeah. I watched Benny Hinn on the television. I walked in one night in a friend of mine's house, and I walked in. And, of course, he goes to the Church of Christ. And I walked in, and I said, oh, you're watching Benny Hinn. He said, yeah, I wonder how much they pay them people to get out of them wheelchairs. That's a guy who goes to church every Sunday. I said, no, 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 that's true. That really happened. Nah, Thurman, that stuff don't happen no more. God don't do miracles no more. You see how the devil's lied to us in the church? I saw the Mary, Virgin Mary. Virgin Mary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, you know, it's amazing what we don't know and what we don't understand because we don't believe the book. Now, then, if you want to lead somebody to Jesus, it says, 
After verse 10 says, For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture which saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus! That's all it takes. It can't be that simple. But it is. He made it that simple. And you don't know how to lead somebody to Jesus? And I didn't. So, you know, I can't talk about you. I mean, I was a deacon and a Sunday school teacher in a Baptist church for 25 years and did not have a clue how to lead somebody to Jesus. And it's this simple. All you got to do is tell them, call on the name of Jesus. And He'll save you. That's just like when I got up, you know, we've been sitting in that airplane for a couple, two or three hours, and I thought, well, I better walk around a little while, getting tired of sitting down. So I get up and I walk up and down the aisles, you know, and I walk up toward the front up there into the laboratory, and a little lady stands. She says, sir... We'd rather you not go any further forward than this. Just stay in your area. I said, but I bought a ticket on this airplane. So why can't I walk anywhere I want to in this airplane? She said, because it is aggression toward the cockpit. I said, I understand. Where are you coming from? I said, you know why we got the problems in the world we got? She said, no. I said, are you a Christian? She said, no. I said, you're part of the problem. <laughs> the only problem is she can't open that door and see if that take pressure. I say, ain't nobody going for them doors up there. See, I know I'm on safe ground. I got a captive audience. They can't go nowhere. We're 39,000 feet pressurized. And so I preached the gospel. But I was nice and gentle and kind to her. And I did preach her. And I told her, I said, young lady, the devil has lied to you and Jesus is very much alive. She said, you know, I've heard a little about him, but I don't believe he really lives. I said, let me tell you, you're looking at a man that knows the king personally. And I said, I've had a lot of wonderful encounters with him. I've heard his mighty voice, and I've seen his miracles. Miracles? Yes. Lots of them. And we start talking about it. And in a little while, she said, you've really seen these kind of things? I said, yes, ma'am. Really? I said, Jesus is really alive. I said, the devil don't want you to believe what I'm telling you today. But I said, you know, it's so simple. I'm going to tell you exactly. I said, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to convict you in your heart that you'll accept him as Lord and Savior. She said, I don't know how to do that. I said, you're going to know how when I get through with you. I said, because this is how difficult it is. This is the most difficult thing you've ever done in your life. God made salvation so hard that only a very select few can find it. She said, it's really that hard? I said, this is, listen closely. This is how hard it is. Say Jesus. She said, Jesus? I said, that's it. You got it. That's it. She said, you mean that's all I got to do? I said, that's all you got to do is say Jesus. And he'll save you. She said, it can't be that simple. I said, it's that simple. Now then, if you don't know how to lead somebody to Jesus after today... You wasn't listening. Just Jesus. Is that right, Michael? 
if you can't take those scriptures in Romans 10 and tell somebody all you got to do to be saved is call on the name of Jesus. You were not listening. Now, go out this week and be an example of the king and work diligently at whatever you do, do the best you can be. Don't be a slothful worker. Christians ought to be the best workers that there ever was everywhere we go. Be the best. I mean, if you're a mechanic, if you're an engineer, if you're a doctor, if you're a a dishwasher, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. You know, I mean, if you're a dishwasher in a restaurant, wash them dishes like you're washing them for Jesus. Make sure every one of them's clean and spotless. Or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. And if you will, then if you'll pray... He'll send people to you and you'll get to see people start getting saved. And when you start becoming a child of God that leads people to Jesus, since that's the first thing he said do, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And all them that will believe and be baptized will be saved. But those that will not believe will be damned to hell. And then, after you lead a few people to Jesus, then he says, and these signs will follow them that believe. In my name, you shall drive out devils. You shall speak with new tongues. You shall handle the serpent, the devil himself, with no harm. And if any deadly poison comes in your body, it won't hurt you at all. And you can lay hands on the sick, and they shall get well. And it's wonderful to see the king do those kind of things by faith. Just like Gloria spoke. In the name of Jesus, and a little woman's withered hand opened right before her eyes. What a Jesus we serve, huh, Gloria? He's more than awesome. So praise the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for the privilege of having this day. And to be able to be here and be dressed and have clothes on and have no bruises and no whips. Oh, God. How grateful we are for everything you've given us. Lord, we could not even have taken a breath this morning if you were not there. Lord, thank you that we can breathe. Lord, I'm grateful for everything, the little things. And I'm grateful that Jesus came and died on that cross for us so that we can have these great and awesome promises and this great and awesome power of the King living in us. For Lord, inspire every human being in here today that they'll want to get in your word this week, that they'll want to spend more time with you, they'll want to seek your face so that you will be in us and we'll pray for each other so that there'll be more power in us so that we can go out and do great and mighty things for you so that the world out there that's being deceived by the devil, they will know that we as Christians are walking in the power of your spirit and there'll be no doubt in nobody's mind who God is. Because of where we walk in you. Father, help us to walk there. And we give you all the praise and the glory for what you'll do this week. For those of us that will be willing to pay the price and go and do things for your kingdom. Bless all of us as we do it. In Jesus' name, amen.